Welcome to Sleep Cues, the everything baby sleep podcast. I'm Erin, pediatric sleep consultant and founder of The Happy Sleep Company. From catnaps to night wakes and regressions to teething, we cover all things baby sleep. With a passion for children's sleep, we're here to help tired families get healthy rest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Sleep Cues, the everything baby sleep podcast. When my team and I work with families, when families come to us with their child sleep challenges, what we are talking about is really normal, common early childhood sleep issues with babies, with toddlers, with preschoolers. We are dealing with families who are dealing with what we would consider really common sleep challenges, having multiple nighttime wake-ups, having short naps, having difficulty going to bed at night, and usually the result of what we refer to as sleep props or sleep crutches, like being reliant on on being held to sleep or fed to sleep, or in the case of many toddlers and preschoolers, a parent lying with them to fall asleep. These are what we would generally consider common early childhood sleep challenges and things that we work with parents on to coach them and their families to help them teach their little ones independent sleep skills. However, I often speak with parents who are uncertain about whether their child's sleep challenges are normal and common, early childhood sleep difficulties, or if there's perhaps something else going on. Some parents wonder if baby is still experiencing colic, others are concerned it might be reflux causing sleep issues, and many parents ask if it's possible that their child has sleep apnea. Sleep apnea is a formal sleep disorder where a child has a has brief pauses in breathing while sleeping. And it's believed that one to 4% of children in the United States have sleep apnea. This is where our guest today comes in because our guest today, Dr. Magna Dasani, is going to walk us through what we need to know about pediatric sleep apnea. Dr. Dasani is passionate about promoting healthy sleep through her dental practice. She's helped many children and adults improving their breathing and their sleep. Dr. Dasani has practiced dentistry for over two decades, and in recent years, she's begun to identify and treat both adult and pediatric sleep apnea in her practice. She helps patients with underlying defects of the tongue, the jaw, and the palate. She's also published two books on sleep apnea and the dental practice. So welcome, Dr. Dasani. We're really excited to have you on today. Thank you so much for having me, and I'll actually let you and your listeners know my third book just came out Sunday. So a couple of days ago called Airway is Life. And that- congratulations. That's very exciting. Thank you. Yes, we are super excited. Um, and that is actually targeted towards everyday people. So just helping families take control of healthy sleep, understanding the science, the what, the why behind it without getting too textbooky, if that's a word, but uh, definitely. So we're super excited about that. That's great. That's fantastic. And parents can go on Amazon, I think, to find your books if they're wanting more information about the books and about sleep apnea and about how our airways affect our sleeping. So let's first just talk about what sleep apnea is. I gave a very brief little description of what it is, but I'd love for our listeners to really have an understanding of what we're talking about. So what exactly is obstructive sleep apnea? So obstructive sleep apnea is exactly what you said. There's a pause in breathing. There is a complete stop of breathing for 10 seconds or longer. The 10 seconds is what gives it the diagnosis of it being an apnea. Apnea is complete lack of breath. And when that person, that child stops breathing for 10 seconds or longer, that is what counts as um, an apnea and obstructive, as the name suggests, there's some kind of obstruction that's causing it. 
In children, we typically find that it's their tonsils. Um, it could also be when, so when, when we sleep, when we sleep on our backs, right? Our muscles relax when we fall asleep. And everything tends to fall backwards in our throat, including our tongue. And for a lot of people, children, adults, that is what causes that obstruction to the stoppage of breathing. And when there's no exchange of oxygen happening, the heart slows down because it really doesn't have any oxygenated blood to, it, to carry from one place to another. At some point, the brain kicks in saying, dude, wake up, I need oxygen. And that's when you have the jump start for the heart going, oh my gosh, I need to get this oxygenated blood to whatever organs need it. This cycle happens multiple times throughout the night. This is what is causing um, the strain on the heart. Because remember, when we are asleep is when all the healing happens in our body, right? The repair, the rest, the rejuvenation. But if this constant stop and go, stop and go is going on with the heart and the rest of the body, that healing doesn't quite take place the way it needs to, which translates to in children, they truly aren't getting into the deeper sleep. Same thing in adults. Now, both of those populations are affected differently. When we get into deep sleep is when growth hormone is released. In adults, it helps us repair. Did we, you know, work out today that our muscles need to heal? But in children, this is what helps with their actual growth. And their brain development, I assume. Everything, yes. And that's where the disconnect happens. For us to understand as healthcare professionals, um, the severity of sleep apnea is assigned a number. It's called the AHI, the apnea hypopnea index. Apnea is complete stoppage of breathing. Hypopnea is a partial breath. In adults, we want that AHI to be below a five to be considered normal. But in kids, one is considered abnormal. What that tells me is that we understand the severity of a child stopping breathing just once every hour for 10 seconds or less to understand that this is causing probably irreversible damage because that's lack of oxygen, lack of growth hormone, lack of the neurotransmitters being replenished. So I know I went down a rabbit hole there, but it gives us a better understanding of what and why it's so important to understand this and actually address it. Absolutely. How early can you diagnose sleep apnea? Can we be diagnosing this in babies or are we getting into toddlers and preschoolers before we can diagnose sleep apnea? A child can actually be born with sleep apnea. So some of the sleep MDs that I work with, the pediatric sleep MDs, the pediatric neurologists, and this has been a topic of discussion where it's like, you could be born with sleep apnea. The youngest child I have in my practice right now was referred to us by the, our ENT. He's one month old and has been diagnosed with a multitude of issues, beautiful baby, healthy, um, just doesn't have the best quality of sleep. And mom was cognizant enough to take him to the ENT to have whatever needed to be done, done. And at some point the ENT said, he's all yours now. 
Can so, you tell our listeners what an ENT is just in case they don't oh, know? Yes. ENTs, ear, nose and throat specialist. So someone that'll look at your tonsils. Um, if you have nasal obstruction, anything to do with your ear, nose and throat, if your child needs tubes or any such thing. It's funny because my daughter is eight. And of course, you know, as you grow as a parent, you learn all these terms. And I definitely know what an ENT is both as a mom and as a sleep consultant, I certainly know what an ENT is because a lot of my clients, little ones have been to ENTs before we even work together. But I know a lot of listeners of this podcast are parents to be, are expecting parents. And ENT (laughs) is not necessarily a term or a profession you've heard of before you become a parent. And then all of a sudden, when you become a parent, you hear the word all the time. You know what, if we could have our way, we'd never never learn about all the different specialties because we would all have beautiful, we all do, healthy children, but hopefully never need to see anybody. But yes, you're totally right. Of course. Um, and then going back to something that I mentioned in the beginning of the this episode, when I was talking about how a lot of times parents are not sure if they, their child sleep issues are sort of those, nor- as I call them, normal, common early childhood sleep issues or something different. How can parents start to distinguish between those common childhood bedtime challenges or overnight challenges or napping challenges and sleep apnea? So the most common sign, the most common symptom is snoring. Snoring is never um, okay. And I tell parents this all day, every day. You know, we're so used to coming up with excuses as to why we snore. Like in our family, my dad snored growing up. And it was always the funniest thing because, oh, daddy's snoring. And we would always have these these excuses around it, he's tired, or I'll have patients, you know, whatever they come in with. But snoring is the first sign that there's something wrong, something's going on with your child's sleep. Now, if it is a once in a time, you know, once that's not very common, they're stuffy, I get it. But if it's consistent, mention it to their pediatrician, to their dentist, to whatever healthcare provider that they are in contact with. Um, So snoring is a big one. Mouth breathing is a second one. If you notice that your child um, has what I call open mouth posture, basically they're sitting there either, and it doesn't matter the age, you know, they're playing, they're watching a show, the older kids are on their phones or reading a book, Um, where there is no active interaction, but it's self-play or self-entertainment, as I call it. If they're sitting there with their mouth open, you know they're not breathing through their nose. Normal oral resting posture for anybody, baby, child, toddler, adult, teenager, it doesn't matter what age, is lips together. We want to be breathing through our nose and the tongue resting passively in the roof of the mouth. And that's another rabbit hole we can go down. But if either of these aren't happening, if that child is breathing through the mouth, that should again be a red flag. That is something that needs to be addressed and hopefully get taken care of sooner rather than later. And this is for adults too. You said I have my husband in the back of my mind because I'm always joking with him when we're watching television, when I glance over and he's sitting there with his mouth hanging open. And I I'm sure that's the issue because he, he <laughs> is an open mouth breather. And um, so that's, I'm going to go bug him about this when we're done with the episode, <laughs> um, but that's good to know. So any other big signs? That, so those are the biggest ones, the snoring and the breathing with the mouth open are the big signs we should be watching for at any age. Correct. And then even the snoring, I'll have parents or even adults that go, um, I don't really snore. 
To put it into perspective, loud audible breathing too counts. So don't just wait for the snore as we know it, but if there's loud audible breathing, um, that should be a concern. Um, kids that um, wet their bed. If we have, now I'm not talking of your two-year, two-year-old or your three-year-old that's you know, regressing potty training. This is your older child. It's not uncommon for me to see seven, eight, 10-year-olds. The oldest I have seen in my practice is a 16-year-old that still wets their bed. And what's the correlation there? So um, when their brain isn't getting the oxygen that it needs, the release of antidiuretic hormone in the brain isn't quite topped off to the levels that it needs to be. And because of the connection, some body chemistry, whatever it is that's going on, there's different trains of thought. One is the antidiuretic hormone. The other is your body's just waking you up. It is in adults too. Um, those that wake up to use the bathroom more frequently at nighttime. When that stopping of breathing is happening consistently, your blood pressure rises. This is your body's reflex to control your blood pressure too. So multiple trains of thoughts that come into it, but a child that wets their bed, that parents have done everything that they need to do. I mean, who goes to the dentist as a last resort, right? For a child that wets their bed. This is a parent, a child that has taken water away, the food, you know, they've cleaned up their diet. They've seen all of the other specialties that they needed to done everything that was suggested. A lot of times the missing piece is sleep. Okay. Making sure the healthy sleep um, is being considered as to, is that what might be contributing to this? Absolutely. I mean, I talk about this all the time, how sleep is so much the crux of all of our health, like really nutrition and sleep just go so hand in hand. And if we only have one in place and not the other, or certainly if we don't have either in place, then, you know, we're experiencing a lot of challenges. So sleep is really at the center of a lot of it. How you mentioned different specialists and where you go first, how do you go about looking for a diagnosis? If you are concerned that your child might have sleep apnea, where do you start with going to get a diagnosis? Um, diagnosis is always given by an MD. It could be the pediatrician. It could be a sleep MD. It could be a neurologist. I always tell parents, have conversations, ask questions. Don't wait to see a particular provider. You could be in the dental chair. A lot of my patients, that's where the conversation starts. It is in the dental chair. They bring it up to the hygienist while the child is getting their teeth cleaned. And we know where to direct you. Or if your child is at the pediatrician for a well visit check, um, mention it. Say, hey, my child snores, do you think? If your child is one that has constant ear infections or you're seeing any other specialist, like I mentioned, the ENT, mention it. You never know where that connection will form to where the child um, can get the help they need. But just talking. Um, pediatrician typically for kids will be the first provider. And then once they do get the diagnosis, what are the first steps that parents are generally directed to take with regards to their child's sleep apnea? In kids, we typically find that the obstruction comes from the tonsils. So even if a child is being seen in our practice in the dental chair, my first referral is to go get their tonsils and adenoids evaluated. So that's where the ENT comes in, the ear, nose, throat specialist, and having that evaluation done. 
if those tonsils and adenoids being obstructive, being enlarged is what is contributing to this, is what's causing to it, based on what they see, those might need to come out. Again, that is best left to the specialist. Are there other treatment options available for kids? Yes. Um, it basically boils down to what is it that's contributing to it, which is why I said, if it's the tonsils, maybe those need to come out. Um, is there a tongue tie? Is the tongue tied to the floor of the mouth as opposed to being able to sit passively in the palate? The palate or the roof of the mouth is also the floor of the nose. When we have a child that has a narrow palate that is obstructed, um, either due to developmental issues or because the tongue is unable to sit up there, do they need that tongue tie released? Do they need an expander to expand the jaws? Do they need to see a myofunctional therapist to train the tongue to sit up in the position that it needs to sit in? So based on what is going on is how treatment is directed. And I often joke with the MDs that I work with, it truly, it takes a village. It, you need a team around this child. There is no one-stop shop. Um, and I always tell the MDs that I work with, it's like, you're, the dentist is a lot of times turns into the quarterback. We kind of, it's like traffic control. We tell you where to go. It's like, yes, you need this evaluated. Go see this provider. Oh, your tongue, this is what's going on. Go see the myofunctional therapist. Go see the orthodontist. Or sometimes we keep it in house. What is going on to where we can address it? But key is have conversations. I tell parents this all the time. Do not hesitate to ask questions. And you know this, it's your mom instinct is so strong. Sometimes you just know. And if you're not happy with the answer, ask more. Ask more questions. Don't be afraid to get a second opinion. Yeah, because this is certainly something we want to get sorted out as early as we can if we have any concerns that it could be what's going on with our child's sleep. Um, are there like can you talk about some of the long-term risks of going undiagnosed into adulthood? Yes. So of course, if it's undiagnosed, the apnea continues, right? You that child is stopping, continuing to stop breathing over time. What that means is, um, like I said earlier, those neurotransmitters aren't being replenished. So growth hormone doesn't quite get to the levels that the brain needs. Uh, growth and development, body as well as brain does get impacted. The constant effect, the stress on the body. These are kids that we tend to see more um, cardiac issues in children. Um, diabetes is a big one. And if they don't necessarily develop this in childhood, but they're always at a higher risk as they get into adulthood. Another side effect, for lack of a better word, again, going back to the neurotransmitters, leptin and ghrelin, which are our hunger and satiety hormones, do not get replenished. What do you and I reach for when we don't get enough rest, enough sleep, are tired? I know me, I reach for all the sugary stuff, right? I mm. want anything that I believe is going to give me instant energy. So now we have a child that hasn't slept, hasn't gotten that good quality sleep throughout the night, but yet I expect my child to wake up in the morning, be in a good mood, right? Go to school, learn, be respectful to their teachers, their friends, get along, be active, play, come home, homework, all the activities that we put our kids in, where are they going to get that energy from? What are they reaching for? the unhealthy foods. Mm -hmm. And 
is this one of the reasons why we're seeing more obesity in our kids? Who knows? It certainly contributes to it. So that adds to it. And just the overall impact on health. Um, there was a study I was reading which said the longer the sleep apnea goes unaddressed in children, um, it impacts their IQ as well. The IQ can drop as much as 10 points for every year that that issue is not being addressed. So are the kids growing to their full potential? Are they reaching their full potential? Uh, so much, so much that uh, it impacts. Absolutely. It's so interesting. And I like the model that you used. And I talk to families about this all the time. And again, it goes back to the idea that sleep is so central to our whole healthy lives is that it starts first thing in the morning. And if we haven't gotten a good night of sleep, then, you know, how can we be active? How can we concentrate? How can we learn? It's all of the things, like all of the things that we do in our life to be happy, to enjoy our lives, to advance our lives, i.e. learning, you know, just to be healthy, eating what we eat. It's all it's on some level tied back to sleep. And whether we're talking about sleep apnea or common childhood sleep yes. issues, I think you and I are both talking about the same thing because I discuss this with families all the time. And then I hear this great feedback from families when I work with them saying changing X, Y, and Z about my child's sleep has created a happier preschooler has created a more well-behaved toddler has created a six month old who just seems less fussy during the day and is more able to concentrate on developmental things that he's going through, like crawling or, you know, for a one-year-old, he just took his first steps yesterday. And I swear if he hadn't started sleeping so well in the last couple of weeks, that wouldn't have happened so quickly, but he can concentrate more easily on these developmental tasks now that he's well-rested. And I'm certain that that's the crux of it. So it's really so interesting how full circle it always comes and how it really always comes back to sleep. Um, I want to ask too, I mean, because I know we're not trying to make parents nervous here or, mm -hmm. you know, think that, you know, something irreversible is going to happen or something that can't be managed or diagnosed. And I think you're doing a great job of explaining that these are the ways we can get it diagnosed. And these are the questions we can ask just to ensure that we're covering all of our bases. Um, but can sleep apnea be reversed or stopped completely? That's the beauty of catching it in childhood. When, so based on what's going on, right? We talked about what could be contributing to it, what could be causing it. Is it the tonsils? Is it the airway that's narrow? Is it the palate that's narrow? Is it the tongue that's getting in the way? Guess what? We can actually address it in our babies, in our children, in our toddlers. We can use their growth spurts to direct the growth of their jaws. The way I explain it to parents is say if your child does have sleep apnea, the easiest way to understand this is that they have a coffee stir for an airway. They have a narrow airway that for whatever reason is being obstructed. All we need to do is give them a, and I say this in air quotes, smoothie straw for an airway. Can it be done? Yes, because we get to use their growth spurts. We get to direct growth. We get to say, in what dimension does this airway need to be grown, expanded, and catch it at those times? And we're giving these, we're setting these kids up for a much better start, much better transition into their teenagers, into adulthood. Um, can they continue to have it later? Maybe, possibly so. But if we could actually widen that airway, they're definitely getting more oxygen. So as long as... Yeah. We, we use, we catch them early. So I'm glad you're 
bringing awareness to this topic for sure. Absolutely. That's great. From scratch, from the beginning, since we're talking about wanting to catch it early, what can parents, adults do right now today to begin moving in the right direction with their little ones, whether they are expecting or they have a newborn or they're already into toddlerhood, but what can they do to start moving in the right direction with this? So for one, like I said, just be aware, you know, sometimes our kids are born with that. It's, it's developmental, it's genetic, and that's okay. So making sure we're aware of this, um, if there's a tongue tie going on, if moms have a hard time nursing, breastfeeding is painful, which it should not be, um, make sure that's being evaluated. I talk about limiting pacifier use, baby bottle use, um, thumb sucking habits. Um, if your child has a pacifier or sucks their thumb, try and get them to discontinue that as early as we possibly can. We always encourage breastfeeding. If a mom chooses not to, is unable to, perfectly fine. It's a personal preference. But for somebody that does, we always encourage breastfeeding. Um, those are some of the ways we can get started. Moving on to toddlers, um, slightly older children, making sure we have a good, good sleep hygiene is in place. Of course, you know, diet and nutrition, eating as clean as we possibly can, making sure the kids exercise, getting to bed on time and waking up on time, establishing a regular routine, a set sleep schedule is huge. Limiting screen time in bed before bed, because that blue light from our screens, be it the phone, be it, you could be reading a book on your device, computers, TVs, that blue light um, hampers the release of melatonin, which is our sleep hormone. And all of this puts everything off, throws everything off. So making sure we're getting enough hours of sleep, right? Our kids definitely need more than the six, seven, eight hours. The younger the child, the more sleep they need. 10, 11, 12, I will take it. Um, little things like those, definite, like that, play a big role in getting our kids to having better, healthier sleep habits. It just gives their bodies a chance to get caught up. For sure. Age appropriate bedtimes, bedtime routines, no screen time before bedtime, 10 to 12 hours of sleep for children at least under the age of 10. You are speaking my language. These are things that I speak about every day. So I love to hear that. Reiterated. I was going to say that this should not be anything new to your listeners, because I know this is what you talk about as well. <laughs> exactly. And that's the stuff. That's the foundation. I think even if we're not dealing with sleep apnea, that's the stuff that that relates to every child, whether they have any signs of sleep apnea or zero signs of sleep apnea, age appropriate bedtimes proper sleep hygiene, proper bedtime routines, limiting screen time, all things that we can be thinking about for every child. So thank you so much, Dr. Dasani, for being on today. This was incredibly helpful. I know it will answer a lot of questions from a lot of our listeners who are concerned that this might be a challenge that their child is experiencing and how they can start to think about it differently and ask questions of their healthcare provider about it and which questions to ask. That's fantastic. I know we can find you at magnadasani.com. Tell us a little bit more about where we can find you and get more information. First off, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yes. All information is on our website. Like you said, magnadasani.com. Uh, the practice website is dasanidentistry.com. We have a ton of information for patients, parents on there as well. Um, I practice in Houston. For listeners that are looking for providers, resources, 
do not hesitate to reach out on the website um, and we can definitely connect you to providers in your neck of the woods. That's not a problem at all. Um, but keep asking questions. <laughs> Absolutely. And you have your Instagram account, uh, Healthy Sleep Revolution at Healthy Sleep Revolution, which is great. And you have a podcast. Yes. And that is the Healthy Sleep Revolution as well. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I'm sure listeners will be checking those out. Thank you again for being on today. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thanks for listening to Sleep Cues, the Everything Baby Sleep podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with a mom or dad who might need some rest. Connect with us on Instagram at The Happy Sleep Company, and check out our website, thehappysleepcompany.com, for loads of blogs, sleep guides, and information about how we work with families one-on-one to get sleep on track.